Jesse Chase on with Lisa Blanchard as the host of Airing Addiction. I share often my journey started on this campus. Got sober as a client here, just like you. I really do see phenomenal change. Always hope. I've seen situations that on the surface look impossible, become possible. Doing this podcast is to share those recovery stories, be honest about what the challenges are and have some real conversations, but kind of share that out on the, the airwaves. Welcome everybody. Happy February. Glad you're joining us today for a very special episode of Airing Addiction. Thank you everyone that's either on Facebook watching this live. We'll see it later on one of the your favorite podcast uh, platform. Thank you so much for tuning in and just know that we are very grateful that you took the time to spend with us and we intend to maximize that time with wonderful guests such as who we have today. So I'm going to turn it over to Lisa to introduce our guest. Who are we talking to today, Lisa? Thanks so much, Jesse. I've been looking forward to this hour of our time all week long and really for several weeks now. So the guests that we're about to introduce, I've had the um, wonderful opportunity to meet in person, um, to spend some time with. Um, recently, we just presented at a local high school, you know, every grade, full school assemblies. It was super fun. Um, but I'm really, really excited for us to, to welcome Daryl Buchanan today. Daryl is a published author and he's the host of Real Talk TV. So folks can find his show. We'll let him talk about that today too, you know, on YouTube, you know, you can kind of pull up all of the great work that he's doing, but he really spends a lot of his time, his person in long-term recovery, but he focuses a lot of his time on educating, you know, youth, educating individuals around him about substance use and about the criminal justice system. And so um, in take it for me, um, we will probably go a few minutes over. We're going to have some great conversation today. Um, but with that, I'm going to kick it over to you, Daryl, right? You share with us as much as you want about, you know, your own recovery story, you know, go ahead and, and, and share uh, as much as you'd like with us. Hey, thank you guys. I'd like to thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Jesse, Lisa, and James. Um, yeah, my name is Daryl Buchanan. Um, I'm from Lowell, Mass. Um, I grew up um, in a family. Uh, we had, it was seven of us in, in a four bedroom apartment in the projects in Lowell, a project called Bishop Markham. Um, it was, um, a close, a close neighborhood, but there was just a lot of dysfunction in, in, in the in the neighborhood, and um, and the dysfunction was just like normal though, right? It wasn't something that I look back now and say, "Whoa, what was I into or what was around me?" But it it was very dysfunctional. We had like every everything from I'm talking about drugs, you know, drug dealers, drug addicts, gangs, pimps, prostitutes, um, just everything. And I think for me, um. It, it was just so normal. And I, I my mom was a single mother. Um, you know, she had, you know, God was her soul. She did the best she can with what she knew. I, I didn't understand it at the time, but now I kind of like understand she only had um, the information that she had, right, to pass out. And she was raising seven kids um, very close in age, um, all by herself. Um, for me, it just started, um, she used to have these guys come over at, and, um, and, this couple used to come over to the house and they used to drink and listen to music. My mom was a fun mom. She was known as the best dresser in the neighborhood. Um, she was a drinker. Um, 
she never knew that she was alcoholic. I never knew she was an alcoholic, right? Until later in life when I started getting into the program, started understanding like, um, wow, those people that came around us, they were all into alcohol, you know, very, very badly. In fact, we've lost like uh, me and my friends back to back, they lost their mothers and fathers in rows like in the 80s and 90s, like people was dropping in. And it wasn't for opiates and that. it was for alcoholism, right? Um, when we look back. But she did the best she can. Me, we didn't have much. Um, I, I I was young. You know, I remember at eight years old, I used to clean up the, um, the cans of beer around the house after a night of partying they had. And I would take some in the bathroom and sip off it. And then I started stealing um cans of her Swiss malt liquor and sharing it with one of my best friends and we'd go in the hallway and drink and um and for me you know it was for me it was fun um then I just started going into the streets you know the more you know my mom's um she couldn't control me you know I'm talking about at 12 or 13 I'm sniffing cocaine I'm in the streets with the older guys not coming home um not going back to school and when I did go to school I would always go back there just to disrupted. I wouldn't go unless I had, I was drinking or, or I was sniffing cocaine. Um, weed wasn't really my thing. I think, um, I did try weed, but cocaine became like that thing at 12 or 13 that I, I loved. Right. Um, the older guys in the neighborhood took advantage of that instead of, cause me and my best friend, um, God rest his soul, he passed But, um, we would do anything for it. And they would send us on missions downtown low and we'd go steal bags full of whatever they told us and bring it back to them and they would purchase more drugs purchase and we get we got to hang out with them you know these are the guys that made everything look cool these are the guys that we looked up to so at 13 i was i was out there running you gotta remember at, at the age of 10 it was so crazy i mean my i, I got arrested at the age of 10 for a b and e right this guy had convinced me and my friend to go into sleep into a store uh 15 minutes before it closed, we hid. And when it closed, we came out like an hour or two later and we had to store to our, ourselves. And this was around Christmas time. And I remember like, man, being in the store and like we we had anything. So um, that that was like my padding. And, that, and that's how it started for me. And, and at 10, I was arrested. And at 13, um, um, I was sent, uh, Massachusetts kicked me out of Massachusetts and they sent me to um, Maine. Let me regress a little bit. Um, so things were happening in the house, right? Um, she had this friend that her boyfriend would come in after everybody was drinking and drunk and come into my room and um, molest me and, and do things with me. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I didn't know what to do about this monster. I, I, you know, I guess in some ways, you know, looking back at now, I, I thought like maybe um, I was afraid of him too because he used to threaten me. So I was really afraid that he would do something to my mom or one of my siblings. So um, he continued it. It kept continuing. And one day I, I told my mom and um, she didn't believe me. And I think that and nobody in the family believed me. And I think that's when I really like sabotage emotionally and mentally and in some ways physically with my family. Right. I, I just felt they were all in cahoots and they didn't care about me. I was least the, the, the least kid on the totem pole in the house. I just started feeling it. I already had issues. So that just compiled. And I went to the streets. 100%. At 13, after running for three years um, in the streets, they, Massachusetts was tired of me. They said, we need to get him out of there. Because they said they saw something in me, but, you know, I was disrupt, so, uh, disruptive and low. So at 13, they sent me to a, a place in Maine. 
was a boy's home. Never been to Maine, never been out of really my circumference of my block, right? It was just my block. So I'm in Maine and culture shocked. I, you know, I was, I was at this place called Bethany Acres and I went there and um, beautiful place, place I've, I've never seen such a beautiful, I used to see that stuff on TV, those type of big giant houses and, and like, I'm talking about mega houses, right? And they had three of them on this, um, on this compound. And so I, I went there um, and the guy that was the, like, kind of like the host of the youth had graduated that program, his family never came and got him. So he stayed on, on guy, like kind of monitor. I thought he was just the eyes for the, the people that ran the place, right? And he would molest us. I come to find out why everybody was scared. He was a lot bigger than us. He was older. And he would basically pick one of us every every night and molest all of us. So it was a lot of molestation going on. And it continued. At that point, it was just like, um, it's, that's how I just felt like, you know what I mean? I was, just, that's what it was for me, right? Um, I remember um, being in Winthrop High, um, you know, I was the only black kid I've ever seen in Maine. I, the whole two years I was there, I've never seen a person that looked like me. So I went to Winthrop, Maine, was culture shocked because I come from a diverse community, right? And um, so that 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 just created a whole nother level for me. Um, so I'm there, and I remember I, you know, people used to stare at me all the time. I go into I was went to Junior High, and people used to just stare at me everywhere I walked, and I, it was just very uncomfortable, and I didn't know how to um to adjust, to adapt, right? I was, so I just started being disruptive again. Um, at the compound, I would be disruptive, um, break windows. Um, I would I would throw rocks at the animals because they had cows. Um, every animal you can imagine in these big orchards. So I would just abuse animals, throw rocks and stuff like that because I didn't know, you know, and they started like, oh, this guy, he's off the chains, right? Because that's all I could do. I was really angry. And I just remember just, you know, it even hurts now going back there because I like animals, but I, it's like, wow, why, why was I doing that? So anyways, I went, I made a friend um, with a guy named Dana Maxim and he's, um, he was a, he was a um, basketball star, track star. He was just, just star from Winthrop. And so when I made friends with him, um, we, we became cool. And then I became a little bit more accepted. I could sit at the cool table and all that other stuff in Maine and my color really didn't matter as much at that point. And I think it, didn't matter to me. I felt a little bit more comfortable being there. Let's put it that way. But um, so I told Dana what happened and what was going on because he said he uh, he always had rumors about that place where I got, when he knew where I lived. I said yeah, I lived up to this place and kind of confided into him a little bit of my story. He's like, yeah, that place is weird, blah blah blah. And he just didn't know how weird it really was. So I confided to him and um, his mom. Uh, he told his mom who uh, I used to go over the house and um. They confronted me and asked me, and I said yes. And I went. I even went to the the Williams, the people that ran the place, and they said, "Oh, he's just pulling a move so he can get back to Massachusetts." So all my cries were just like, "Yo, Larry's raping us!" No, and the kids, some of the kids were like, "No," they were just in agreement with me. I'm like, "Yo, you were in the room last night, right?" But um, so his mother confronted it and called the um, DSS at the no uh, DYS at the time, and uh, my social worker came up and they snatched me out. And I was sent um, after two years, left there, just abruptly left. And they sent me to, um, I didn't go back to Lowell. They sent me to Mattapan, um, to um, a, a people called the Williams. So I went to a foster home from there straight that day. And um, now I'm in Mattapan. 
I don't see white people. I see all black people right on the street. I'm just being, you know what I mean? And I say that just because of the way that culturally messed me up because I came from a place I never seen stuff like that. So I'm in Boston now, and I these people, I don't even like these people. They were making me just do stuff, make me do. They had two other kids there that were their own, and I used to make me do the chores, make me clean up after dogs. And they had these two, uh, uh, Doma Prince and a German Shepherd, and make me clean that. And, I, you know, I just, there was no love there. I was probably just a check. Um, so I started um, hanging out with the kids on on the block. There was a lot of gangs right on my street, drug dealing, Wilson Street, Mattapan. Um, and, um yeah, I got right back into um, uh, linking up with people like me. And I started back to my cocaine use and all this other stuff. And it was a lot of abuse happening there. So I ended up robbing them. I had to get away from there. I took their jewelry box, gave it to this girl's uncle and asked him, man, to just take me back to Lowell. You know what I mean? And we got some drugs. He took me back to Lowell. He's nodding off all the way down there on the highway. And I get back to Lowell in the 15 and I'm in the streets again. You know, um, my, you know, my addiction is, I didn't know at the time I was an addict, but I'm out there, you know, um, using cocaine. I couldn't live with it, couldn't live without it. Um, I graduated to start uh, shooting what this, this girl taught me about um, sticking the needle in. And I started that, fell in love with that immediately. And went on, just went on a crazy run. Um, and that lasted for at least 20 years of my life with the needle just running in and out, spending a lot of time. I'd be four months on the street, two years in jail, four months on the street, three years in jail. You know what I mean? Um, never really knowing, you know, I was an addict. And it, here's the funny thing about it. I remember being um, just about to turn 18 and I'm in Walpole and I mean, I've, you know, tracked mucks up and down my arm and I would go to this, you know, in Walpole, you don't, they're, they're so separated, but you can meet, the only place you can meet is at church and at um, meetings. Right, you can meet your buddy if he's on the other side of the, the um, the prison. So we would all meet there, and we would sit in these meetings, and 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 these people would come up and talk about being drug addicts, talk about being alcoholics. I'm talking about 18 years old, and I'm hearing it, and I'm seeing it, and I, I couldn't connect. I'm saying, man, these dudes are bums, man. I am never gonna rob my mother. I'm never gonna eat out the damn garbage cans. We used to sit in the back, character assassinate them, and just talk about these people. And we're in a maximum state prison. I got railroad tracks for arms, right? You know, up and down my arms. And my, even my my friends, we all, you know, in hindsight, we were all messed up. So they talked about this. And I remember, and this was the theme continuously. I'd go into prison and I'd go to meetings to get two and a half days or to meet with someone. And I always sat in the back and talked junk about people, man, calling these people bums. And I would never eat out of the garbage. I would never rob my mother. Man, I would never steal from my my daughter. I would never leave my daughter, right? All this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, I became every one of those things, man. You know, I, everything that ever, that them people used to tell me since I was 18 years old, I've done it all. I've ate out of the garbage cans. I, I stole from my mother. I put a box under a present under the tree for my daughter, right? And be happy. But when I run out of money, I go take the present out and leave wrap the empty box and leave the box there, right? Under the tree. So she's opening it. So I've done all that, you know what I mean? That that they had told me that they were doing. And I just couldn't connect. You know, I didn't connect for a long time or accept the fact that I was an addict for a long, long time. I mean, in and out of the program. I've been around this program for years. Right. Most of the time, you know, because of the judge told me to go or because of probation told me to go. But really not because I identified myself as an addict. Right. Or that I had a problem. I just felt that I 
needed to find a way to get high and lessen my consequences, right? In my mind, I wasn't slick enough to do both, right? How do I just go so far with this? How do I get high and, and do like some people I know, they get high and go home? Me, I'm looking for the after party, the after party and the next after party, right? Four days later, and, and, and I end up in handcuffs, right? So I, but I just, I don't know what it was about me that I couldn't connect, but anyways, so that 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 story continued. We're talking about from 13 till um, I'm, I've got almost six years free of prison. So you're talking about 13 all the way to 50, um, 54 years old, 41 years and 28 of them in prison. Right. And when I tell my story, my story, I don't have those big Pablo Escobar stories. I don't have none of that. I went to jail for stealing just for the next hit. Just for the next one, not for piles. I went for the next a hit. I spent 28 years in jails trying to get hits, right? It's, and, you know, so it's amazing. So, you know, um, so I'm in another program. Um, a few times I say, you know, hey, you know, maybe I can go there because in the meetings, maybe they know how to get high without going to jail or without all these consequences. So that's why you should think. So that changed from... I'll never be these people to, damn, they know how to get high in these meetings. Because I never believed people really had clean time, these long clean time. I just never thought. I thought I was going to live and die an addict, and I just thought that's what happened. That's all I see, right? And I think for me, it was more of, you know, after I did a little work, it was more of a place where that became so acceptable. I grew up and that was normal, right? So I had to change my mind, you know, change my thinking on that. It was just normal. That was like excuse my French, but breastfed to me as a kid. You know what I mean? I, that was, was was served to me, you know? And, and I think that was um, one of the barriers that, you know, kept me locked in for such a long time. Mentally, I it, that was what, the, you know, I talk about this thing all the time where, um, you know, um, you know, the environment, my environment played a crazy role, right? So I talk about, like, if you take a chicken egg and you take an eagle egg, right? and you put them both in a chicken coop and you come back six months later after they're both hatched, you're going to witness the eagle acting like a chicken, right? Because of his environment. He's still an eagle. He sees eagles flying in, but he just, his mind, I tell him to flappy his wings. He's still got, that's how I felt in my environment. My whole, you know what I mean? I was taught that from day one, man. So I came out of the gate acting like a chicken, you know what I mean? Uh, when I was eagle all the time, but that's what happened to me. And I'm, um, not just me, but a lot of people that grew up in my neighborhood, you know what I mean? Even to this day, when I go back around there, I see the, the residue. I see um, that mentality uh, still being passed down, you know what I mean? And, you know, chains are not really being broken um, as far as um, in my neighborhood. And that's why it was important for me to always go back and try to shine light. And I'd go back, right? And people, you know, that was doing good. And... Um, I didn't do the work that I needed to do. And guess what? Daryl's back in jail. Daryl's back on the corner. Daryl's getting high with the person he just, at the tent, that he was just trying to get people out of the tent because I used to do a lot of outreach. So I'm getting in there talking to people, bringing them out and trying to be this this thing. Um, and next thing you know, I'm in the tent with this guy that I was just trying to get into a shelter. Now I need a shelter, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was just continuous thing, bro. It just became this continuous get up, fall, get up and fall. And um, then, but because I just couldn't embrace, you know, I think one thing that 
that is helping me more than anything now is the um, all paths to recovery. It's so dope to have that, right? Because I could take this, I could take that. It's not one size fits all, right? Because I'm not a one size fits all type guy, right? And my that's not what that wasn't how my disease worked for me. You know what I mean? Like like I was talking yesterday, yeah, you know, some people's insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. That wasn't my insanity. My insanity was doing the same thing over and over, knowing that what the hell was gonna happen and doing it anyway, right? So one size fit all didn't work for me. Right. So this all paths to recovery where I could take pieces. I, I'm not so you know confined to just 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 one thing. I think that has opened me up and um it's been very helpful for me. You know, but um yeah, like I said, you know, it has been years, you know. I one of those bottom addicts um that talked to me when I was 18 years old and first gave me that message and I said I wasn't that person. And today I was clearly that person. They was talking to me. You know what I mean? So I look. I, I say back now. Imagine if I listened. So that's why it's important to try to pass a message because you never know who's going to listen. But imagine if I listened. You know what I mean? The trajectory of my life would be totally different. And who knows? You know what I mean? What it would be? But it would definitely be totally different. But at the same time, I accept what's going on today. You know, I, I you know I like myself. I know that you know um that. I didn't ask to be abused, right? And I'm not taking you know, no responsibility, you know, not you know, saying I'm not responsible for the way my life happened. I am totally responsible for it. But, you know, I know these things that I wasn't responsible for. I used to blame myself for all that stuff. That I was a bad guy. I mean, sometimes it plays on your sexuality as a kid. I wonder if I'm this person. And then you started, you know, it just, it was a ball of confusion. And I was suffering inside and didn't know and, and didn't even know, right? Here's the thing is, and- the pain never even, it hurt, but it never even got to a place where, it, it, cause I, I, it's, it's like I numbed myself all these years, man. Didn't have the inability to feel for anybody, anything. That's why I was allowed. And that's why I was able to do anything, like rob my own family. My mother was dying of cancer and she had pain meds and I would crush the pain meds up and take them and sell them as dummy bags just so I can get some coke. I've done some stuff, man, you know, or I'm locked into this disease that when I sit back, I'm like, man, who is that person, right? <laughs> yes. you know, I'd, love to, um, I, I'd love to reflect a bit on your story on how you got there. And then we can shift to um, really the person you are today, which is is just remarkable. And I'm, and I'm grateful for. Um, but one of the things I wanted to as a clinician, right, um, yeah. which really sticks out for me is... And we hear this, you know, time and time again, and I just want to thank you for your vulnerability and sharing mm. so much of the detail of your story. But the, the world told you from a really early age that it's not going to take care of you, right? That the yeah. people who were responsible to protect you, to mm. take care of you, aren't going to do that. And it didn't even matter when you were removed to another environment up in Maine, right? And, and things look different and people look different and there were big houses and trees and all of the things that you weren't used to seeing, they'll have the same experience. Yeah. Those yeah. that were entrusted to take care of you 
did not. And, um, and I just think, you know, you've got such insight on your environment and how that plays into your addiction story. And um, I just, I just think that's really worth highlighting um, because, you know, even the behavior that you started to display, whether it was the substances to escape from that or the acting out and throwing rocks and doing all of those things, you know, all behavior is there to meet a need. And you had so many unmet needs that you were just trying to get something taken care of. Um, And so, you know, I I know you have, and you've done a lot of the work, but um, I just really hope that, you know, you, you give yourself some grace for that. And I appreciate you being vulnerable with your story because in times in your, in your addiction story, in your life, when you were vulnerable and you shared what had happened to you, all you got, all that happened is you got moved to another terrible environment yeah. <laughs> immediately away from the friend that you had, away from any supports you had. And um, I just want to recognize that the unbelievable resiliency, right, that um, that I think is what makes you who you are today. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate it very much. And that, yeah, that's that's. Um... The story is crazy. When I look at my own story, right, cause, and because I'm in the middle of, I wrote like the first part, but I'm in the middle of writing scars and broken pieces, and um, and I think when I when I I, I read, I started writing a story a few years ago, and um, and the relapse behind doing it, right, I got to that place where we we're talking about all that stuff, and it started coming into my head, and then much said, you need some therapy, right? So I've been in therapy for um, three years, and I had one therapist who was amazing, um. And then I had to move from her and got a new one. And who, who's still amazing. But it's amazing, the healing, right? And I because ha- I have to heal, right? Or die. What am I going to do, right? I confront that, those those ghosts and those, those are some scary things. And I, when people say, you know, the boogeyman, the boogeyman lives inside me, right? That's for me. The boogeyman is an extension of me, Right. Um, and so that's what I'm dealing with, man, you know, and I'm grateful, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm really grateful, you know, for, um, just to be able to wake up, right? Because at the end of this road, at the very end, and I'm talking about after this, relapsing, relapsing, continuous relapsing, at the very end, right, I was in a hospital and I remember they, I was unconscious, conscious, but they had me on meds and they was telling people, to have people come see me because he's gonna die. Dude, I blew up like that. I'm sitting around the crack table blowing up like the nutty professor. And I'm really literally meaning I blow up and my I couldn't even get to the place where I couldn't put shoes on, I couldn't walk, and I would not leave that damn crack table. And I remember waking up in the hotel and telling Katie, my significant other, I'm gonna die today. And I knew it. I because I, I was just my everything was blown up. I it was it was ridiculous bro and um you know we called the ambulance and when they came they were like whoa and so i heard all that chatter while i was in in the hospital these doctors talking about me not making it through and just trying to make me feel comfortable uh, i guess on my way out you know whatever they were you know the medication and i remember praying man and just praying because i had two kids i'm like man this is how my story ends man right like damn right and you want to and now you want to listen and you want to and I think my it wasn't bothering bargaining with God at this time. I think it was like really sincere at this time. Like oh, I am done, bro. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, my the the floor started leaking on the next day, and I, I heard the nurse 
calling the doctor is 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 coming out is linking you know what i mean and i wasn't out in the woods but and so i heard all this deaf talk i couldn't move but i'm like I, i'm living i want to live right and you, you want to live i want to live i don't want to die right treacherous and it wasn't you know and at the fact and i end with this but the fact that it wasn't really that i was gonna die i think at that point i think at that point the torturous part for me was like damn where am I gonna go? Mm-hmm. Damn, where am I gonna go? Right? Because now it's like the question, Daryl. That was the question, yeah. Jesse. <laughs> That's where a deep question. They right? told me, right? And all I had in my point of reference in my memory was negative, terrible, bad. Even the stuff that happened to me, all that stuff. I felt I was a blame for, I'm like, bro, this ain't going to end right here. So that was the fear. That was, I'm talking about terrified. That was terrified. I can only imagine, Daryl. And, and I, uh, I second what Lisa said and wanted to thank you first off for sharing your story and being so vulnerable and sharing, yeah. you know, the, the pieces of your story that I, I know were at once difficult. And I, I heard you even say that, you know, w- would cause a relapse or would yeah. lead up to a relapse by that, that, unhealed trauma and yeah. good for you for mentioning it. And, and anybody that's this listening that, you know, has thought about, you know, once I get X number of, you know, whatever benchmark we put in front of us, I, yeah. I want to do this job. Right. Because th- yeah. that is something that, you know, in my experience, for sure, you know, I, I said once and, and here I am and uh, I know many other people's uh, people as well. And, you know, with lived experience, um, yeah. But the, the reality is you have that experience. You said, you yeah. know, you're, you're, you know, trying to do outreach and helping people out of their tents and then you're in the tent with them yeah. and get the healing. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I think that's great that you have that insight. It's really phenomenal. Actually, do you have that insight into, you know, I, I need to be well before I help people. Yeah. I always use the example of the, the airplane, you know, will they taxi, they say in case of emergency, the air mass drops, put on your own air mask before you help somebody else. <laughs> and exactly. You for putting on your own air mask. Exactly. So, to, to sort of transfer. And then I'd love to hear about what's going on with Daryl right now. Cause I know that's probably could be a whole nother podcast, but I yeah. wanted to reflect uh, something you said about, you know, sitting in Walpole, turning 18, sitting in the back of the meetings, character assassinating everybody saying, I'm not yeah. that bad. I'll never get there. Um, that's something I hear often. That's something that, you know, yeah. if people are are in a situation where, you know, they're going to meetings forced, you know, you talked about probation, you talked about, you know, I'm, I, I, you said I needed to find a way to get high and lessen my consequences. Yeah. I thought that was a beautiful way of saying that, right? You know, yeah. maybe these people know something. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know, right? Um, but to anyone listening that's that's maybe kicking this, you know, recovery thing around a bit, just show up. Just show yeah. up. I'm a firm believer in what, what's supposed to happen is, is going to happen. You know, Daryl's a perfect example of this, uh, yeah. of that, you know, you, you go from I'll never be those people to, well, hate to break it to you, Daryl. <laughs> you're one of those people now. Yes, I am. Guest on a podcast talking about your story. Yeah. And I would love to hear what's going on with Daryl. We, we mentioned, you know, you have a TV show. We mentioned yeah. you're a published author. I would love for you to share yeah. a little bit about what recovery looks like for Daryl these days. Well, um, like I said, I, I really, you know, um, respect all paths, man. I take a little, you know, right now it's really more on the spiritual for me. Um, 
right? Dealing with um, a pastor, you know, I have a recovery coach um, who I deal with, but I'm really more on a spiritual thing right now uh, as far as in, the, in my, on my recovery piece. I just feel that was the foundation. That was really the pace. Not only after I mentally started dealing with that and like, cause I was still stealing. Right? I, have, um, I was going five years clean and I was still stealing out of um, CVS. I mean, so there was a lot of stuff, criminal thinking, you know, that I didn't even know about that stuff. I just thought I stole, you know, it just craziness. But I was always throwing rocks at the penitentiary, bro, with my behaviors, my attitudes. Right. But, you know, today is, is for me, it's on a spiritual. I love doing, um, I love listening to pastors in the morning. You know, there's this pastor, Tony Evans, who's, who's so dope to me. And I've, I've never had so, uh, you know, I connect with some pastors, but I've never heard a pastor talk about addiction the way he did and breaks it down. I listen to that all the time. Um, I like, 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 I more like Zoom meetings now, right? Because I, I can go anywhere. I can, I can get a meeting from New Zealand. You know, I can get, I, so I do all that stuff. Um, I show up, I'm at the um, Spectrum Center, the Recovery Connection here in Marvel, Mass, where I sit now, right? Um, I sit here, I come here, I remember um, being here 15 years ago on the run. My name was Get Get the Hell Out. That was my name, right? So I, I had nowhere to go. Everybody was looking for me, the courts, my, everybody, the dealers. So I had nothing. Here's where I came. The Marlboro, a friend was up here. He said, come to the Marlboro, come to a meeting. I went to a meeting, started coming here 15 years ago when they moved here. And um, the first place that I felt that I've been embraced, man, never been judged here. And if, it, and if I has, I never felt it, right? Um, the, the people here. So I've been coming here off for 15 years. I mean, I'd relapse, come back and relapse. But... Um, came back, you know, this time, um, after COVID and, um, they had a, a new, um, executive director, Athena, talked to her and, you know, I knew her from Everyday Miracles, always respected the way she, um, her, I respected the way she educates. She's more like a teacher. So I like to be around her a lot whenever she's around. Cause I learn stuff from her, right. Stuff like, it's like her recovery is on another level. Like, and people, that's what I learned. Like people's recoveries are different and on different levels. And you can learn from that. But I come here to be a support. Um, we're, we're in a rebuilding stage. Um, you know, I, I feel my best, you know, to invest in this, in, in this center, and to be a part of this and, uh, and to see it get back to where it was, it's just, you know, these my visions is beautiful. I'm here on a regular basis, um, here with Common. We've got a new director who's just, you know, phenomenal and just motivated. I mean, even did outreach with me, right? <laughs> you heard me go, beautiful, right? You're like, oh, like, you know, somebody that up there, you just never think that they would do. A lot of people don't do what they would have you do, but I don't get that here. So anyway, the peers are good. It's a good center and we're doing our thing here. But um, yeah, I just, um, you know, I'm a father again. You know what I mean? Um, you guys know, my daughter, she's 37. She experienced everything I just told you about all these years in and out. But me and her have a good relationship today. You know, she respects me as a dad again. Um, I have two little ones, four and two who just like God gave me another chance to be that guy, right? On a healed, right? So that I enjoy that, uh, you know, um, you know, there's a parenting. There's times when I'm like, ah, I'm out of here. But then there's times like you look at their face and like, ooh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're my motivation. Um, yes, I, I'm a writer. I, I, 
I, I think I wrote for a long time. I think, I mean, I always wanted to write, but I think as a young kid, I used to hide in the library. When things got bad or abused, that would be my place to go. I would hide in the library and just be around books. So books have always been like my thing. I remember in a penitentiary, that's all I did. I was known as the book man. You know, I didn't want canteen, send me books, send me books, send me anything. So I, I learned a lot of stuff about publishing. I learned a lot of stuff about writing, self-taught myself that. I build programs, write grants. I, you know, I've learned all that and, and, you know, in, um, in jail. So wait, anyways, um, so I do that now. I got it. Like I said, I got a book, I got a bunch of things. Now I got this book. It's, um, I love me. It's a woman's self-love first book. Um, I put it under, I created a, um, publishing company with my kid's name on it. Um, Daze Publishing, Daryl is a that acronym Daryl and Zayla. So that's my kids, my family. And you know me on the back. I did that. And this is them on the cover of the first gratitude journal that I created. Right here. So I created this gratitude journal and I put them on the cover of it. So I have a bunch of stuff like that. And I'm just writing um, the TV show. You know, I the TV show, you know, I just thought that what I wanted to do, I went to there and I wanted to film a documentary. I got written two of them. I got two that I wanted to do. And and I, the guy, I talked to the executive director and we talked about the documentary and he said, hold oh, on, you need to do a TV show. I was like, bro, not me, bro, right? And that was pitched to me. And I said, hey, you know what I mean? Um, I'm always up for a challenge, right? I already been to hell. I'm not afraid of anything, right? Just afraid of going back, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So the, the challenge, so it was a challenge and I took it and it's been the most awesome experience, man. And you guys know that because you guys have your, your platform too. To be able to meet people weekly, I'd be some of the most... Um, how can I put it? Most um, the people who are the most um, that that have just the most experience in in this world that I'm doing in they're the most interesting lives. I I mean I sit with people every every week that are, and and when you have a platform, you basically get people to come that you want to come and learn from. So that's been a good platform. But I really have that for. Because most of the time and most of the media outlets, there's whenever you hear about people like us or you hear about addiction, it's always about people dying. Right. And I get that. I respect that to the fullest. Right. But at the end of the day, if you keep pushing that, then you're pushing hopelessness. Right. For addicts that sees or somebody go there. Then they don't hope for me. Right. So I said, man, I had, there's got to be people that's living and doing this thing. And I know someone. So that's why I built the platform and said, you know what, I'm going to push hope. Right. Because you start seeing if we continue to show people living and living and living successfully and giving back to their communities, taking care of their families and thriving and, you know, fighting the stigmas that are, that surround around this disease, um, you know, um, then you're doing the right thing. Right. That's what I felt. So that's what um, Real Talk TV is about. You know, it just continuously to push hope, man. I just think. Um, someone needs to see that because I wish I had that all the time because I think my life was in the beginning it was hope you know helplessness built on just the way I thought and so I did I do that I um, do a lot of outreach man I love what's going on the center allows me to do outreach I love going to the community um, to the mayor's office I knock on doors I'm not afraid I knock on doors to get the mayor's office that we came here and we never had um there's a, a marble alliance for, for venturing out here. We were never on their part of, on their board. There's a lot of people sitting around there and I said, we need to have the center. We're the hub here, man. So that's what I'm trying to present that we're the hub, right? The special facility is to put it here and we need to utilize it, right? So that's what I do. I go in the community and we got, we're finally on the committee. We, and here's the deal. They used to have the committee at city hall all the time, all their meetings. Guess where they're at now? 
<laughs> right? So we come here, they come down. Yeah, all these people come down, right? And they come, and here's the thing, they enjoyed it. You know, we, we, we are having little riffs in it because people, you know, different perceptions about whether this is a disease or a choice. I think that's what becomes a barrier. A lot of people just, yeah, and, and maybe a little trust too, right? Because addicts and, and people who, who have substance use disorder, right, are, very not, are not very nice people when they're active, right? And we teach people how to treat us, right? So I get, you know, when we do things like that, they see us, so I'm not holding them totally accountable for them not really buying into everything that we want to do here, but I get it. So now it's just a process of just teaching them who we are today. And the more they come around us, they come down here, they love the center. They were like, oh, oh. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty. Ain't nobody going to come here. You can put your pocketbook down. <laughs> it's going to be safe. Daryl, I was in a training a couple of weeks ago with a lot of folks with lived experience, um, yeah. parents with lived experience. It was a parenting curriculum um, yeah. training. Um, and one of the things that um, I think I think it was one of the parents with lived experience said that I think was one often things will stick with me, but it really reminds me of you as we talk is that healed people can help heal people. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I just thought that really like that really stuck with me and speaks to, you know, once you've done that work on yourself, yeah. that now you're in a better place, right? Yeah. To, to share that message of hope and to share, you know, what your pathway was, but be open to all pathways. And you're in, you're just in, in such a great place to do that. Whereas you had desire to do that before, but you hadn't done all the work yet. And so you get pulled back in. Right. Um, And now, you know, you, you have kind of steady ground under you because of all the the work that you've done healing yourself. And it is, you're right. You, and the thing is, the deeper you go, one thing I learned, Lisa, you know, my buddy has a, uh, a mental, he started a mental health class, for men, a group for men, probably a powerful group. And these, and, the, and I'm going to tell you something, in the group, there's like 500 years in prison. Wow. I'm talking about in the, in the group, just our group, like five. And these are men that I know that we all talk about. You know, I got touched because, you know, our ego and, you know, the machismo that we had. We had to put all these masks on for long. Dude, if you look at my, I'm telling you, if if I could literally um, materialize all the masks I wore, I don't even think there's a room that could fit it. I'd have a mask of you. I have a ma- it was crazy putting on these faces, man, changing all these faces. And now you can just a little bit more just become you and try to show you just you. To, it takes a lot, man. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it also takes a lot of digging. Right. There's stuff that surface, but there's stuff that's that stuff that really, really connects us to the disease, connects us to self-destruction. Right. That is in British. It's like we, we say in, in the group, it's like almost in your bone marrow. Right. You have to get deep with this. Right. And and I think that's what I, this year, that's what. Well, last year, that's what I started to really just say, you know what? This is what happened. And I accept it. I can tell people today. I couldn't tell you that before because I, I was afraid to be judged. I was always insecure. I always wanted to be accepted, not rejected. So all those things played in me not being able to tell. But we have this group and there's men up there that, that I'm like, damn, that's what <laughs> he's telling my story. But to me, I'm hearing like, damn, that happened to you, right? It's like I'm not really connected to minds too much anymore. It happened. I understand it. But it doesn't really have that power. I'm not saying I'm out of the woods with it because it's continuous, right? But it doesn't allow me, when I talk about it, I don't have that icky 
that type of crazy feeling in my heart starts. I don't have that no more around these situations that happen. You know what I mean? Um, because I, I'm not to blame for them. I think another thing I, re- I blame myself for so long, right? And then you're dealing with identity crisis. It was crazy. In, in a world that said this is your identity and you can, and you trying to get away from that, it took years to not identify myself as a loser, as a piece of garbage that someone could just trash. I, that, and I felt like that. I didn't let people know because I was so good at dressing that up, right? I dressed it up, so everybody thought it looked. Uh, I was, I was well, right. I was that apple that when you take a bite, you get a mouthful of worms. That was me. And all right, the, right, the mask that you talk. Oh about. my God, just I'm man. For this person, I'm this way. This person, oh, I'm oh boy, it's tiresome, isn't it? It is. It's, it's a lot of work, right? Everybody got to get high to do it, man. It's tiresome. It's, it's and what I see with you is you, you've, you've sort of siphon that energy from putting on all these masks that couldn't fit in this room. And, you know, you, you did the work internally deep to your bone marrow to be healed, to start being complete. Yeah. Cause recovery is a lot of work. We say that all the time, Recovery, it takes a lot of work. It's a one. I was just talking to somebody before we hit record on this podcast. It's, it's one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. Right. But as we heard with your story, it's, it's well worth it. You know, you you get a a publishing company with your kids' names and, and books that I didn't even know you had. I I know we talked about books before. Yeah. You can Google it. Yeah. I have more books to add to my list to read. <laughs> There's a lot of journal. Yeah, God is good. You know, when you come out on the outside, like I said, I you know I met this um, this other therapist last year who took me real deeper. You know, you know, I just came off a bad run, and and you know, he, he's he's just saying this is what it is. He's seen everything. I explained to him. He said, and he he was able because he cared. He was able to say this is what we have to do. And I said, let's go. And I just wasn't afraid. And he took me there, man. And um. It was intense. Then I, you know, I, I meet with him, and then I have to meet with the recovery coach, who's a female, right? And I was another issue. She was suggested to me, and I was like, ah, female, because I was always told men stick with men and women, and I get all that. But the thing is, I want to be with anybody that has my medicine. Okay, right? who is it? If say Bernard has it, send them, right? Because that, and so, yeah, because so she was the one, and at first it was, eh, but after the first conversation, it was like, wow. Right. Because I didn't have to try to sleep with her. She wasn't trying to sleep with me. We wasn't bargaining. This was about getting me well. And we went there and she and, you know, I I think this last year I had more success in dealing with my stuff. And I can tell because the more you deal with it, the more you rise. Right. Because I deal with stuff and then thing it's like these weights are being dropped off. Right. But it's it's a beautiful for you, right? I love huh? your ability to share your story because there's so much trauma work in being able to actually rewrite your narrative, right? What actually happened? But taking away this was my fault. This was something that I deserved. Yeah. You can take the narrative of what happened to you, speak it out loud in on paper and in other ways. And and rewrite it to the way that it really belonged to be, not the way that your brain processed it, particularly when you were very young. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it, you're 100% right. It's, it's just a beautiful thing, you know, like I said, you know, the freedom that I have today. And I'm not out of the woods as far as, I, you know, he tells me I still have to go. I still have to go. I still have to go. I still, you know, it's therapy. I still have to apply, you know, spiritual. I'm still in recovery. But these things are just never. And that was another thing, man. I, okay, I'm recovered, right? Right after you get you get so complacent in this thing, man, right? That's because there's a thing they have, they're saying they have, a lot of people have a lot of years, but not enough days. And I get that now. Yeah. A lot of years, yeah. But the, the more years you have, the more dangerous and more closer to your disease than you are, right? That you are, right? Because you become more complacent. And I'm listening, I'm like, wow, this thing, the way this thing works. And I think that's why all paths is a beautiful thing, man. And I would never subscribe to that stuff, right? It's just been the last year or so, the MATs, this and that, and this and that. You know, I have somebody in my life that is on MATs, and I use, ah, but now I look like, damn, at least this person can be a good mother. She, this person's not going to jail. This person's available, right? This person can be there. She's not, this person's not harming anybody, kicking nobody's door. Like, it, the crime element, the criminal element, right? And the availability has, you know, and I said, man, if I was proposed to this, I might have fought that. Maybe this person wouldn't be available. And if they were, they would be irritable, so irritable and, discontent, and uh, discontent that they wouldn't even be fun to be around, right? And so, so, so now I'm like MATs, right? So I started being open, right? Because we're so closed-minded to all this, right? I don't care what your path is. I don't care if you got, you know, a cheese sliced pizza next to a pepperoni, next to a vegetable. I don't care what type of pizza you got. If that's your piece and it's, it's working for you, making you available, right, and making you um, constructive in society and adding to society, and not only it's adding to society, if it's not allowing you to practice self-love, then do that, right? Because that's at the bottom, bottom line, Jesse, for me, you know, I, I and I'm big on it, self-love, man, right? I got to be my own best friend, right? When when Valentine's Day came in and my significant other had an issue, she said, baby, you go buy me flowers. I said, yes, I'm going to get you flowers after I get mine. And it sounds so crazy. And it's revolution. But that was what I needed to do. I needed to go somewhere, buy myself a flower, and I sat in that same, and I didn't go anywhere bigger than Price Chopper. You can get the flower, and you can get a meal all in one place. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, what I mean? and I did that, and and still parts of me were like, dude, you're 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 insane, right? You're insane. It was fighting with that, but I, I did that, and guess what, man? It, it was dope. So now, when I did something for her, it was just like really beautiful because I took care of me first. Yep. It's so important, man. Right? We get stuck on taking care of people and making people, you know. It's a friendship. I learned about friendships. And, you know, I got to be my own best friend. I can't be your friend until I be my own best friend. It's putting that air mask on yourself first. Yeah, you have to, man. Self-love. It's it's being comfortable in our own skin and recovery, right? Being, you know, grounded, being, you know, you mentioned spirituality and Tony Evans is is one great example. (laughs) You know that, Jess, you know that. Of course, yes. And, you know, being the the open to all paths and and I'm reminded of uh, something I I learned in recovery is uh, on the how of recovery, right? H-O-W. Honesty, yeah, yeah. open-mindedness, and willingness, right? Yeah. I need to get honest with myself, and, and you've been very honest with us on this podcast, and I thank yeah. you again for it, Daryl. Uh, oh, we, yeah. Open-minded, yeah. right? We talked yeah. all about open-mindedness. 
Yeah. Your willingness. I mean, I mean, I, I can see you right there. You're, you're literally doing the stuff as we're recording. I, I can't think yeah. of a better place to record than. At the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Amazing. That literally is the hub. Yeah, it is the hub, you know, and like I said, you know, I, I want to give us, you know, just real quick shout out to you guys, man. Appreciate everything you guys do. I have some stuff we, we can talk about afterwards, but yeah, I appreciate going on that. That was such a beautiful thing at Keith, man, to see these kids, man, Jesse, man, when that girl came to you afterward, man, I'm like, those, that's, that's what this is about, right? That generation. And I, I mean, we want to deal with our, each other, but bro, we're not really targeted anymore, right? Because they got the people that are already caught, they got them. They got like bullseyes on the kids. I'm talking about two, four. It's all grooming. And if we can get to a place where we can bring some real powerful information, some real authentic information, right? Because a lot of times people get caught up because they only have half the math, half the information. If we can bring that, I know that we can put a dent in this thing, especially in the future generations. These kids are being so, and they're not, per se addicted to drugs right now but they got addiction addictive behaviors right and they they, they train them right to be like that right they get their minds at a young age so it's very important what you're doing very important that we do get on the front lines with you know for these kids and when we did that um you guys invited me to do what you guys at keith tech that was so dope man that was like a dope experience that i want to do it again <laughs> you know I, mean? I have a feeling this is not going to be the end of our conversations there's going to be lots well i know it won't lisa because there's going to be another conversation next month you right. said we got you guys on the, you got you guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll promote it through Ewing Addiction too. So folks that have been listening to on this platform, you can hop on over to Daryl's Real Talk TV and watch us have a live recorded in-person conversation. I love it. Love it. And uh, Lisa, so I'm sure I think we'll do more prevention. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be the first airing addiction that uh we both do in person. Oh, so well, it won't be airing addiction, it'll be real talk TV, but it would add that element. No, it's your twist, it's your, whatever you guys want to do. You Listen, guys if James come. wants to come record us while we talk on your show, or we can take the He's YouTube willing. video and put it out there on the platform, we can do that too. Yeah. He can come, he can come, you can invite him. We go in the studio, <laughs> and here's the deal it's your show. We, when you guys come, you're the guest, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, that's what we're going to do. Perfect. We could talk to you all day long, Daryl, but we get to continue yeah. the conversation. Okay. Um, you know, it, this has been wonderful. You know, Thank we've you. said it before. We'll say it again. We haven't had a podcast where the word hope does not come up. Um, and I can't yeah. think of a better example of hope and healing and, you know, paying it forward than, than you, Daryl. So Thank thanks you. so much for being here with Appreciate us. It. One day at a time, right, Lise? One day at a time. Thank <laughs> Yeah, I pre- no, I appreciate you guys, man. Like I said, I just want to say, you know, shout out to Athena and comment to peers and, and at, at the center. Um, and you know, All if you're right, around, bro, go hang out. Go, you'll get. If you're in Marvel, come see me, man. We can sit down. We can finish this conversation. If you're in Marvel, come on, we can finish this conversation right here. <laughs> the spectrum. I love yes, it. <laughs> thank you, guys, man. All right, thank um, you so much. Thanks everyone for listening for to another yes. wonderful episode of Airing Addiction. Like, subscribe, do all the things so you get to hear us again. Thank you. <laughs>